Amen. Well, we're back in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7 this morning. So if you could join me in turning there, Mark chapter 7. We're uh, really in the, the second part of a sort of a three-part series here, um, really on our, on our Savior. And who, who exactly is he the Savior of? <laughs> and uh, the answer to that is, is very simple. Jesus is the Savior of all who believe. And um, so as, as we look at this uh, section, Mark 7, beginning in verse 31 today, um, we're going to finish out uh, the seventh chapter today, the book of Mark. So Mark 7, beginning in verse 31. If you follow along with me as I read it aloud. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they being unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Epaphetha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have written for us these clear accounts that teach us not only about our Savior, but, Father, who he came to save. Father, as Gentiles today, we are privileged know that you sent your son into the world to die for the whole world, not merely for the Jew, but for all. And so, Father, we, we just praise your name. We're so grateful that salvation is open to the Gentile. And, and Father, we pray that as we approach others, any burdens, any barriers, where we think that either someone is unworthy of salvation or, or have the wrong idea that somehow there's somebody who is irredeemable, beyond the the scope of of salvation which is freely available father would you just break down those sinful thoughts from our hearts point them out to us and and father may we confess them and forsake them lord we pray that we would be people who would be quick to share your gospel message father we know that if the gospel has impacted our lives and hearts then this should be a gospel message which which we are quick to share. Father, if we are slow to share it, there's something wrong in us. We confess that before you now. Father, burden our hearts for those around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. Uh, you know, uh, we think about the, the White House and... Uh, you know, of course, the, the People's House, and uh, of course, the White House is in Washington, D.C. Most of you probably know that, but uh, the White House is in Washington, D.C., but uh, lately they've been talking about a um, winter White House as well. Anybody know where the winter wa- White House is located? Florida, Florida, Mar-a-Lago Estate. They, they've been calling that the, the winter White House because President Trump likes to go there during the winter. And I get out of D.C. and go where it's warmer. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but my house doesn't look like the White House. Um, And I I don't know if your house looks like the White House. I haven't been to all of your houses. I've been to some of your houses. And 
most of your houses aren't quite as large as the White House, and most of them aren't quite as large as the Mar-a-Lago estate. Uh, I, I was thinking through this, you know, uh, uh, think for a minute in your mind how many rooms you have in your house. And uh, I, I was running, it's kind of hard to add up now with these open floor plans and things these days, so I came up with about 10 in the parsonage, you know, that's where, where we live. I came up with about 10. Think in your mind about the number in your house. Okay, now, Mar-a-Lago, down in Florida, how, how many rooms do you think that has? Any guesses? Any ideas? Okay, 200. And any other ideas? No, no one else wants to say it? How, how many of you think it's more than 50? Okay, just most hands are up. Okay, how many of you think it's more than 100? Okay, we've lost a couple, but most of them are still up. 128 rooms at Mar-a-Lago. Anybody toured the White House? Anybody ever went on the tour in there? Okay, Suzanne has. Um, I haven't toured the White House. I've done the Capitol tour and different ones, but I actually got lost in the Library of Congress tour, and I got in the tunnels underneath D.C. and was walking between the Library of Congress. It's all connected underneath there. Uh, I, I, I was a teenager and kind of full of myself, and so, well, I don't want to stick on this tour. So I was getting kicked out of rooms left and right. I was going to all these places I wasn't supposed to be. I, it was a blast. It was a blast. But, uh, but yeah, I, I never made it actually to the White House. I almost made it under the White House one time. Uh, then security stopped me and brought me back out. But uh, the White House has about 136 rooms, and uh, so that's the number there. So um, I don't know about you, but I've never lived in a house that big. Uh, that's larger than anything I, I've ever, you know, the, we're like normal people here, right? <laughs> and those houses are reserved for people who are a lot different than most of us. And uh, a lot of times we could say that they have um, wealth or, or uh, even information and things that, that we just don't have access to. Uh, that's beyond where we are as, as normal people today. And one of the things that sometimes happens with folks who have a lot of wealth like that is that, well, they get special treatment. You know, there's kind of the VIP room, and I, I don't get the VIP treatment usually. You know, they, you probably don't either. Why? Because we're normal people. Um, and so one of the things that sometimes happens when people get the VIP treatment like that is they start just sort of expecting it, and then it's very easy to, to look down on other people because of it. Um, it, it, it can happen. And uh, certainly, I, I, in my mind, I can understand. You know, if everywhere you go, everybody always opens the door before you greets you with, ma'am or sir, is there anything you need? And then you walk into, you know, Wendy's or McDonald's, and, and it's not like that anymore, right? And uh, you, you probably under, understand that difference. Well, the Jews in their day sort of had a, a thinking a little bit like this, and, and they were kind of viewed themselves as the religious VIPs. Um, they they had received God's promised word. Um, they they were religiously considering themselves sort of above everybody else. And, and you think about that, you, you go back and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them come from their lineage, right? That that's my history, that's my family. And uh, you, you can imagine it would be something like uh, being in a in a uh, a Trump family today, or or you know the. Um, Go back to like the, um, the the Vanderbilts or you know some of those big names. Uh, you know if you're you're part of uh, the the 
Carnegie family and their libraries and, you know, all of these things that are named after certain families that had a lot of money. Uh, so, so in some ways, the Jews kind of viewed themselves that way. We're, we're, we're from the, the lineage of Abraham. We're, we're from Isaac's family. We're from Jacob's family. And, and so they, there was kind of this thought where they were somehow better than everyone else, and in particular, they were better than the Gentiles. Uh, now, when we get to this Gospel of Mark, remember, Mark is writing this book. In the, in the very beginning, Mark 1, 1 says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and as we consider this book about Jesus that's written to a people group, the primary target was not so much the Jewish readers. It was actually the Gentiles who were reading this gospel. And so most people recognize Mark as being a gospel written primarily to, to those who were Gentile readers. And so um, that might seem a little bit strange because he, here is Jesus. That's the, who this book is about. That's who this gospel is about. And he's Jewish. And he was born into a Jewish family and he lived among Jewish people and he was within a Jewish cultural group. Why in the world would this one who is Jewish have a book written about him that is written to the Gentiles, whose primary audience is the Gentiles? Well, the fact of the matter is Jesus didn't come to the earth just simply for the Jewish people. Uh, he, he, he came to the Jewish people, but he came for all who believe. And so that, that is the reality of the gospel. Jesus was Jewish. He came to the Jewish people, but he came to save all who believe. And so that's the, the wonder of, of our Messiah. Now, let's consider where we're at in this time, right? Jesus' popularity is through the roof. Everybody is following him. Big crowds are gathering um, the Jewish leaders are getting upset because he is gaining so much publicity. Folks are, are just gathering around him. And at the same time, he's not following the tradition of the elders. He's not following their man-made rules. And so, in a sense, it kind of makes him look bad, right? <laughs> he's claiming to be a Jewish leader, but he's not doing what we said Jewish leaders ought to be doing. Uh, he's doing his own thing. And so, uh, remember back in the beginning of, of Mark 7, the Pharisees come, the, the, the scribes and Pharisees come from Jerusalem. They're there to inspect Jesus' work. Immediately they see that they're not washing their hands. The disciples aren't washing their hands. And so they rebuke Jesus. And in response, what did Jesus do? He rebukes them, Mark 7, 6, right? He calls them hypocrites. That's not the way it normally would work in our mind or we would think it would work, right? This, this is a, a Jewish person in the midst of Jewish leaders, and yet he calls them hypocrites. And then he leaves. I mean, if that's not enough, he just, he just leaves. He said, okay, we, we've had enough of this. I'm not going to just stand here listening to this. We're not going to just put up with this over and over again. And, and he, he actually gets in the boat and they, and they leave. And not only that, he, he's just been called unclean. And where does he go? He goes to a people who are declared unclean. He goes to the Gentiles. And he goes directly into an unclean town. And he meets an unclean woman. And he heals her. I thought he came to the Jews. No, he, he heals her. 725, right? A certain woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came, fell at his feet. Jesus said unto her in verse 27, let the children first be filled. 
for it is not meat to take children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. What's he saying? I came for the Jews, not for you. You're a Gentile. I'm here for the Jew first. Verse 29, he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way, the devil has gone out of thy daughter. She begs him to heal her, says, Lord, won't, won't the Gentiles at least get a little crumb? Don't the dogs get a little crumb under the table? Great is your faith. He heals her, right? And so here's Jesus who came to the Jews. He is focusing on on his walk with the Jews and in particular pouring into his disciples. And yet he still has time to heal this woman whose daughter uh, had this unclean spirit. So he leaves. He leaves where this woman is located and he goes up and he goes even further north up to Sidon now. Right. And it's it's actually kind of a, a horseshoe shaped journey that he takes. The distance is approximately 120 miles. Imagine that 120 miles on foot. Uh, that's how far Jesus has gone at this point. He leaves the Jews and and, and he, he he's left them behind. And what's he doing? He's teaching very clearly that he came to minister to all people. He is demonstrating by going to the Gentiles that he is there to demonstrate ministry to all people. So. Let's put this back in context. Back before the Pharisees came from Jerusalem, the scribes and Pharisees came from Jerusalem. Back before that, when when Jesus was first beginning that ministry there, he had wanted a break. Right Before that, his disciples had just come back from going two by two. He wanted to spend some time for them with them. He wanted them to have a break. Finally, he gets across the, the sea, the, the, the religious leaders, the crowds are all there. They're, they're gathering around him. Finally, he gets across the sea. He goes to the other side. He, he tells them when he gets to, to Tyre that, hey, don't tell anybody I'm here. I'm just going to stay in this house. I'll spend time with my disciples. This will be great. Everybody hears about it. The woman comes. Right? He, he heals her anyway. Now he, he takes a 120-mile trip right, up to Sidon. He, he gets up there, and once again, he wants to focus to be on the disciples. He doesn't want the Pharisees hassling. He, he doesn't want the crowds there. He wants to spend time with his disciples. And um, even go back to 724. From thence he arose, went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon, entered into a house. He would have that no man know it, but, but he could not be hid. Right? He wanted to get alone. And people still kept coming, and Jesus didn't turn them away. He didn't turn the woman away. He healed her daughter. And we'll see that he doesn't turn the crowd away today who comes as well. Jesus welcomed all those who believe. All right, so we make it to our our time now. We've got the context in place, but our our passage this morning in verse 31. Right Again, uh, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Verse 32 says, And they bring unto him one that is deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. Now, who are these people? These are not Jews. right? These are Gentiles. That's who is described here. Now, a particular one is being described for us, a particular one who has this impediment of speech. Now, uh, we don't have it here, but there's a parallel passage in Matthew 15. I'm going to read this parallel passage for you so you, you get this. Uh, down, But Matthew 15:30 says the great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed and many others and cast them down at Jesus's feet and he healed them. OK, so so Matthew 15:30 describes a big crowd who's here. Mark focuses on one man in the crowd. 
Okay, so that's what's going on here. So imagine there's a big crowd there, but one person is singled out. He comes forward, and Mark is describing for us that particular account here in Mark 7.32. Right? They brought to him one that was deaf, had an impediment in speech, and they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. Here's, here's a crowd of Gentiles, and they're saying, Jesus, we believe, would you heal this one? should think about it for a minute among the jews this is somebody who is unclean this is somebody who would be entirely unacceptable they they should never be approaching a jewish teacher in this way they they in fact the jewish teacher shouldn't even be there he shouldn't be in the midst of this crowd he he should not be approaching this group of people and yet here is jesus here he is coming to the gentiles I don't know if you've ever had that thought before. Um, it's amazing the different things that uh, in ministry that that uh, pastors are, are are asked sometimes. And I, I I don't want you to think that these questions are, are wrong or you know I, I understand the the desire to ask. But you know at, at different times whether it's campus ministry or, or different things like that and and somebody will come up and say you know I I want I want my um, roommate come to our, our campus meeting or I want my roommate to come to to church. Um, do you think that would be okay? <laughs> well, of course, right? <laughs> sure. Bring them to church. Well, Pastor or John, you, you know, you, you just don't understand. Um, they're a lesbian. Well, I understand. <laughs> Bring them to church, right? That That's okay. Uh, lesbians need Jesus, just like you need Jesus and I need Jesus. That, that is a re- reality. Well, hey, can I bring my neighbors? Can I, can I bring my neighbors uh, to, to church? Sure, bring your neighbors. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. They're, they're not married and they're living together. Well, that's okay. Bring them to church, right? That, that doesn't preclude them from coming to church. Bring them to church. It's a little more scary, maybe. Pastor, I invited someone. They're coming this Sunday. I, I don't know if this is going to upset you or not. Well, well, why would that upset me? We want people to come to church. Why would that? Well, he's a registered sex offender. Sex offenders need Jesus too. Right? Bring him to church. Bring him to church. Regardless of the sin... Regardless of what's going on in that unbeliever's life, Jesus came to declare the message of the gospel. Jesus came to declare the truth of who he is. And people who are, from society's view, uh, simply unclean and unfortunately somehow treated within the church as unworthy, it's a false view. Right? They are sinners. We are sinners. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. And both can be true. Jesus came to those who no one else would go to. Think of how many times Jesus was mocked for going to the prostitute. Right? Or someone who had been caught in adultery multiple times. 
How dare you speak to them? Jesus was there to proclaim the gospel to all who believe. Verse 33 goes on. He took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers into his ears. He spit and touched his tongue. So this is the one who was deaf, who has this speech impediment. And and Jesus here does something that I I think from our standpoint might be a little bit unusual. Why is he touching his ears? Uh, Obviously, Jesus doesn't have to touch somebody for them to be healed. There's plenty of times he spoke. Perhaps the text doesn't tell us, but perhaps what he is saying to him by touching his ears is that I'm going to help you and I'm going to help your hearing. I mean, how else would you communicate that idea? We, we have a, another description here that, that um, in some versions sounds almost a little gross. We, 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 uh, what it says in the, at the end of verse 38, he, he spit and he touched his tongue. Now, now what, what we don't know and, uh, is uh, did he just spit on the ground and then he touched his tongue separately? Did he spit on his hand and touch his tongue with his spit? We don't know. Um, you, some versions, which you may have in front of you, may have an italicized saying he touched his tongue with his spit. Well, that that with his spit part on there isn't actually in the original language. And so it may be an italics in your Bible. Uh, Regardless, Jesus spits and then he touches his tongue. What was the issue? This is somebody who had a speech impediment. He had trouble speaking. And and so Jesus is probably communicating once again that he is going to help him. He is going to help his ears. He is going to help his tongue and, and the challenge that, that he has there. So um, verse 34 goes on, and looking up to heaven, right, he sighs. Why would he do that? Imagine, this is somebody who can't hear you. And, and so Jesus is describing for him that, that he is going to help his ears, that he is going to help his tongue, and what's the source that it's going to come from? It's from heaven. Right. And so all of these motions, I think, are probably forms of communication for somebody who could not hear during that time so that he would know what was going on. And so so Jesus makes it clear he's looking up to heaven. He sighs. He says to him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. Straight away, verse 35, his ears were opened. The string of his tongue was loose. And he spake plain. Immediately he can hear. Immediately he can speak. This uh, word here, we have here, the string of his tongue was loose. Right? You may have a different word, maybe an impediment of his tongue in your version. That word literally translated means chains. Right? His, his tongue was in bondage. And the bondage that was on his tongue before has been removed. It is set free. And so he can now speak clearly. You know, that's a, a minor view of, of what Jesus came to do when he came to this earth, right? To take the captives and set them free. In this case, he is taking a captive tongue and setting it free. Jesus takes those who are in bondage, who are in slavery to sin, and he sets them free. By the power of the gospel through simple belief. Jesus has the power to set free those who are in chains if they but believe. Jesus, when he would go around healing people, you know, he, he didn't just go around healing everybody. 
It wasn't like everybody in the crowd who was sick got healed at the end of, of, of that encounter. It's not like every single person was healed. There was a group of people who were healed. And there was one qualifying factor uh, that, that established whether or not someone would be healed or not. They had to believe. See, see, the key in all of this was not the healing. The key was whether or not they believed. It was the believing. And so the people who believed Jesus, they were healed. And so that's why we have Jesus saying things like, your faith has made you well. Right. They believed, and so they were healed. Jesus demonstrated his power through those who believed. Verse, 30, verse 32, um, as we go back, used a particular word. Look back up further in, in Mark 7, verse 32. said, They bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. Okay, that word there, impediment, right, this impediment, That's a word that's not used very often in our Bibles in the original language. In fact, in the entire New Testament, this is the one occurrence. Well, is there equivalent in the Old Testament? If we look back to the Septuagint, how did they translate Old Testament words? There is one place where this word appears in the entire Old Testament, only one. And it appears in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read it for you, but if you want to turn there, I do welcome you to do that. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, said the following, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Verse 6, Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Dumb there is this word. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. What is this? This is a, a passage pointing to the work of the coming Messiah. And the word that's described there, the tongue of the dumb shall sing. We, we, would, we would use the word mute today, right? Dumb is archaic. It's not only archaic, it's probably inappropriate in our day. Uh, but our word would be mute, right? And so the only time in the Old Testament where that equivalent Greek word is used, it's right here uh, in this Messianic prophecy. The tongue of the mute will sing. The tongue of the mute will be loosed. He will be able to speak again. And if you're there in Isaiah 35, I want you to look up just a couple of verses to verse 2. Isaiah 35 verse 2 says, It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. The glory of Lebanon? Wait, I thought this was about the Messiah. You mean to tell me that Lebanon, a Gentile nation, that the Messiah is going to go to a a Gentile nation, Lebanon? Well, yes, he will. So, in our account, here in Mark 7, where's he at? Where he's healing this mute man. He's, he is in Sidon. Where is that? Well, that's the region of Lebanon. And so here is Jesus fulfilling this prophecy down to the very letter. The, the, those who are deaf are receiving their hearing. Those who are mute are, are speaking once again. 
And the very word that, that is used here in the New Testament is the same one that goes back to this Old Testament word right here in Isaiah 35. See, the Messiah was there to save even the Gentiles. He was there to save all who believe. That's what he came to do from the very beginning. And if the religious leaders in that day had had understood their Bible and read this passage, they should have understood that it would be no strange thing for the Messiah to enter a Gentile town to heal Gentile people who believe. Verse 36 in Mark 7 goes on and describes, it says, He charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much more, a great deal, they published it. So imagine this, the miracle has happened. The, 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 the deaf are hearing, the, the blind can see, those who were mute are now speaking. Jesus is saying, let's keep this quiet. Why in the world would Jesus want to keep this quiet? Well, remember back in the context, Jesus is looking for a time to pour into his disciples They've just got back from their journey, but it seems like a long time ago now because more and more ministry keeps coming his way. He came to the Jew first. He knows his responsibility to his disciples. And yet here are all of these Gentiles and here are all these unbelieving Jews even back before who are coming up to him. And he wants to pour into his disciples to carry on the ministry long after he's gone. And yet he sets it aside and he heals the Gentiles who believe. He heals those who come. Why? Because he's teaching others that he didn't come for just one people group. He came for all who believe. Verse 37 says, And they were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. They're amazed at the working of the Messiah. Let's consider something from uh, Matthew 15. This was the parallel passage. We read verse 30 before, but I'm going to read 30 and 31. Matthew 15:30 says, And the multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. See, these unbelieving Gentiles, they saw the works of the Messiah, and they believed. They glorified the true God of heaven. See, Jesus wasn't just the Savior of the Jews who believed. He was the Savior of all who believe. Jesus came into the world to declare the message of, of who, he, who he is for all of the world to see. Sure, he came to the Jew first, but he went to the Gentile. There was no one who was left out. There was no one who was somehow beyond forgiveness. The plan of salvation was available to all. The sins of Jew and Gentile alike would be paid for on the cross. Simply believing, by demonstrating saving faith in Jesus Christ, forgiveness was fully available. John 1, verse 11, gave us a description that Jesus came to his own. John 1, 11 says, he came unto his own, 
and his own received him not. See, that, that's where Jesus first came. He came to the Jews. He came to declare the message, to declare himself as Messiah among his own people. And his own received him not. But then comes verse 12. John 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. See, there was no qualifier there. There was no limiting of those who who could be saved to simply those who were his own or those who were Jews. He came to his own. His own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. See, that's the wonderful plan of salvation. That's the wonder of our God, that salvation is available And it's available to everyone. It is available regardless of the person's status. Whether whether they view themselves as as somehow the religious elite like the Jews did during that day, or whether they knew they were unclean like the Gentiles did in that day. Regardless of the status, salvation was available. And it was applied to all who believe. Anyone who believed could be saved. And so it didn't matter whether they were Jew or Gentile. It didn't matter what nation they came from. It didn't matter whether they were Israel or Lebanon. Regardless of what nation it was, salvation was available. It didn't matter what their race was. They could be from Ethiopia. Salvation was available. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch was saved. Salvation was available. There was no exclusivity in terms of who the gospel was available to. Sometimes we say it this way, God is no respecter of persons. right? It's not on the basis of, of wealth or money. It's not on the basis of some quality that's in and of ourselves that somehow makes us acceptable to God. See, for those who are saved, they recognize there is nothing in me that is good. There is nothing in me that makes me somehow acceptable to God God saves me in spite of me. And I come to him with nothing of my own. I just believe. I just trust. And and that is the wonder of of the plan of salvation. You know, at the very beginning we talked about Mar-a-Lago. And it was recently in the news. Um, Anybody ever been a guest at Mar-a-Lago before? No, nobody here? Nobody here? You know, um, they had a big New Year's Eve party and, uh, you know, New Year's party kind of over the evening. And it's become a big thing. They do it every year now. Uh, President Trump actually left. He wasn't there this year. But, you know, in order to to go to that party, you have to be a, a uh, somebody who has like a membership at Mar-a-Lago. That's a requirement. Or you have to know somebody and be a guest of somebody who's a member up there. And and if you're a guest of somebody who's a member up there and you want to go, you still had to pay $1,000 to get in the door this year. Right? I, I was out right there. I, I didn't even, it didn't matter. I didn't know anybody. But I, was, I wasn't going, right? It wasn't happening. What is that? That's a very exclusive club. A very exclusive club of rich and powerful people. And they wouldn't want me in the door. And I hate to tell you this, but they probably didn't want you in the door either. 
you know our God is different? He has prepared a table. Think back to parables. Where the Lord of the house sends out his servants, calling all those who would come to come and eat at the banquet. Go into the highways and byways. Compel them to come in. Think of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 15. It says, I speak as the wise men judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, it is not the communion of the blood... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Who is that? Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes is part of the body of Christ. Everyone who believes is part of the family of God. And it doesn't matter who they are, we being many. It doesn't matter Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter nation, Israel or Lebanon. It doesn't matter race, Israel or Ethiopia. It doesn't matter what the differences are. The question is simple. Have they believed? Have they received him or have they not? You know, our, our Lord was not stingy in sharing the, the message of the gospel, the plan of salvation, even though he had a plan to come first to the Jew before it went to the Gentile, to go to his own people first. We have no such limitation today. We share the message of the gospel with all those who will hear, praying that they will receive it. Consider how much Jesus went through on the daily basis in terms of what he put up with to get this message out, knowing that he would face the cross. Right? Whether that would be persecution from religious leaders, persecution in his hometown because uh, he, w- he was born to, to Mary prior to Mary and Joseph's wedding. Think of the persecution he faced in, in healing Gentiles. Think of the persecution he, he faced in not upholding man-made religion and following the religious rules of that day. Think about all that he went through. Why? Because he wanted people to hear the pure, simple, true gospel message, not weighed down by man-made religion. And all around us today, there are people who are are enslaved in man-made religion who are enslaved with false ideas about what it means to be saved. And if we know Jesus, we know the true message of the gospel. Who did you share it with this week? Who did you tell about Jesus this week? You know, this message is about being willing to tell anyone and everyone, right? It's about the messages for all. In some cases, I just wish we'd even just pick a group and if we at least share it with just that one, right? I mean, that's not biblical, but, but at least do something. 
We've got to get the message of the gospel out. And it's for everyone. See, that's what Jesus' life was about. That's what his death was about. And if you know him, then you should seek to look like him. And it should be what your life is about as well. Pray that 2021 would be a year when we as a church are people who are known for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. Because it's for everyone. Who can be saved? Anyone who believes. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, that it is powerful. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel, that it is universally available. Father, we pray for souls that they would believe. Father, if there's a deficiency, it's not in your word. It's not in your gospel. It's not in the Holy Spirit who goes forth and draws people to yourself. Father, if there is a deficiency, and there is, it's in us. Lord, change our hearts. Break us. Break us of our pride. Break us of our selfishness and self-centeredness. Father, help us to focus on others. And Lord, may we focus on their greatest need, their need of salvation. Father, help us to get over ourselves. and Declare to the world who you are. Pray, Lord, that many lives and hearts would be changed. Pray that people all around us would be prepared and ready to receive the message of the gospel. Father, we just praise your name for how you're going to work. Has bowed and eyes closed. I want to give you a chance if there's somebody in particular that maybe came to mind during this message where you would say, um, there's somebody the Lord's put on my heart and and I'm going to share the gospel with them. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to share the gospel with them this week. As much as it depends on me, I'm going to do my part to share the gospel with them. Um, I just want to pray for you. This pianist begins to play. No one looking around. If, if you have somebody like that, would you just slip up your hand? I'm going to pray for that meeting this week. Amen. Amen. Many hands. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we pray for these souls who need to be saved. Father, we pray for these relationships, these encounters that will be coming where your gospel will be presented clearly. Father, work on these hearts and lives. May we be sensitive. May they be sensitive to your leading. Father, for those who have committed to sharing the gospel this week, give them boldness. Father, give them clear opportunities. Father, set things up that, that there would be time for, for discussion in which questions can be answered and and folks can be pointed toward Christ. But we know this is not beyond your power. So, Lord, we pray that you would work on our behalf. Father, the problem is far too often 
been us. Father, we confess that sin before you now. Help us to forsake it. Help us to point others to Christ. We pray, Lord, that we might be people who you use. People you use for your glory. Father, we're so privileged to be part of your group, your table, your family. And we're so thankful that it's not an exclusive family. Father, were it exclusive, none of us would be able to have received entrance in the door. But you loved us in spite of us. So, Father, we just praise your name. We're so thankful for a God who loves. Help us to go and do likewise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.